Hello world and welcome to the Overtone Warp Zone. This podcast is for people who enjoy games, love music, and want to know more about how their favorite songs work. In season one, we're taking a look at musical concepts found in pieces from Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. I'm Dan Bergman, and let's get started. November 6th of this year brought us the fourth new DLC character of Smash Bros. Ultimate's Challenger Pack 1, Terry! On the day of his release, Masahiro Sakurai walked us through a short history of the character Terry Bogard, the game series Fatal Fury, the history of the company SNK and the Neo Geo console, and the moveset that Terry brings with him to Smash Bros. I think one of the more interesting facts Sakurai brought us was that, despite Fatal Fury being released slightly later than Street Fighter II back in 1991, both games were in development at the same time. In other words, Fatal Fury wasn't a reaction to the popularity of Street Fighter II. In fact, one of the planners from the original Street Fighter was on the team that made Fatal Fury, so it's almost as if the two series are branching paths from the same route. Well, I, I shouldn't even say two series, because Sakurai also brought us through the confusing twists and turns of the SNK fighting game series that spawned from Fatal Fury. The Fatal Fury series has 11 games that were released from 1991 to 1999, which follow the plot of Terry Bogard enacting revenge on Geese Howard for killing his adopted father, Jeff Bogard. Geese conveniently hosts an annual fighting tournament that apparently allows you to throw people off of buildings to their death, so they do that. Good job, Terry! Then, the SNK fighting game trilogy, The Art of Fighting, appeared with games in 1992, 94, and 96, whose events are set 10 years prior to the events of Fatal Fury, and in the second Art of Fighting games, Geese Howard is revealed to be the ultimate villain, which canonically ties the two game worlds together. And then, there's the King of Fighters game series, whose first game was released in 1994, and happens to be named after the annual fighting tournament that Geese Howard holds. The game uses much of the intellectual property of SNK, but outside of any canonical storylines, so it's possible to pit characters from different worlds or timelines against each other. This series had annual releases up until 2003, after which four titles have been released, the most recent being 2017 and the next coming in 2020. <sighs> the 90s were crazy for fighting games, man. Terry's been in over 80 games, by the way. So if you're concerned about his relevancy, Worry not, for Terry Bogard is a video game giant. Welcome to Smash, Terry. We'll get into more about SNK and their mascot after we listen to some more music. And by the way, the most exciting part to me is that with the release of Terry, we have 50 new songs. That's unbelievably huge. The music comes from the following SNK games. The three aforementioned fighting game series... Alpha Mission, Akari Warriors, Athena, Psycho Soldier, Samurai Showdown, and my personal favorite, Metal Slug. I lost a lot of quarters to those arcade cabinets as a child. Also, by the way, at the rate Smash Bros. is adding music to the game, I will literally never run out of content for this podcast. We're almost at a full year, and of the over 900 songs in the game, I have covered about 28 of them. Also, Sakurai once again made a comment about the music that makes no sense to me. And uh, let me quote him on this. We thought about concentrating on songs relating to Terry, but there are a lot of big band style songs that really don't fit the mood of battle. What? Terry's the hero of a fighting game. How does his music not fit fighting games? And once again, Sakurai, you put songs like this in Smash Bros. And this! 
this? Your logic makes no sense. <sighs> well, anyway, let's pick one of the only big band non-fighting game appropriate songs that Sakurai put in the game, which happens also to be an unofficial theme for Terry Bogard, as it appears when you fight him on his stage in Fatal Fury 2. This remix of the original song is done by Noriyuki Iwadare. Have a listen to Curry Kinton. There are some games that are developed in the East that use stereotypes of what the developers know of American culture. Terry wears jeans and sneakers, a white undershirt, and a ball cap, as opposed to some of the other fighting games in Japan which feature their combatants in traditional martial arts outfits. His sayings are limited to a bunch of American colloquialisms like, hey, come on, come on, and okay. Also, his stage and smash is a football field. How much more American can you get? His stage in Fatal Fury 2 is also America-ish. It's called New Albuquerque, which doesn't exist, but even if you were to place it in New Mexico where Albuquerque is, it doesn't explain why the stage played on a moving train car has images of what looks like the Grand Canyon, which is a state over, and Mount Rushmore, which is three states over, all in the same train ride. Just mash all of America together, why don't you? You could argue that Terry's theme here is another America-ish association. I feel like the developers of this game thought that big band music is cool guy America music, but to me it gives off a bit of the West Side Story, rival gang, dance battles, and synchronized snapping and such. But hey, you can't argue that this music doesn't have personality. Now let's listen to the original Curry Kinton from 1992's Fatal Fury, which is also in Smash. You'll notice that this song has some train sound effects built into it that aren't in time with the music, such as the train whistle at the start and the clacking of the wheels throughout. The game's composers are Masahiko Hatea, Toshio Shimizu, and Yoshihiko Kitamura.
Now, this is a bit of an aside, but I would be remiss not to mention what makes Terry's moveset unique as compared to the other Smash Bros. fighters before the end of this episode. He has a lot of similarities to his fighting game counterparts Ryu and Ken, such as the fact that they always face their opponents in a one-on-one -on -one battle and the inclusion of command inputs, but let's get to the differences. The first Smash Bros. first is the introduction of a spot dodge counterattack. After a spot dodge, Terry can immediately attack with invincibility in his upper body, which is supposed to represent how Fatal Fury allows you to attack in the foreground and background, and not just on a one-dimensional track. The second first for Smash Bros. is that Terry has two different side B attacks. Burn Knuckle, which is done facing his opponents, causes him to rush at his opponent with his fist out. His backward side special is Crack Shoot, which is a flip kick similar to Zero Suit Samus or Sheik. Terry's up B, Rising Tackle, can be charged by crouching before executing it, giving some invincibility for the first few frames. Lastly, Terry has two Desperation Attacks, or Supers. The word go with an exclamation mark will appear near his portrait when his percent is over 100%, or if he is at less than one-third health in stamina mode. When that word shows up, it allows Terry to perform two additional command input only moves that are extremely powerful. Those are Power Geyser and Buster Wolf. Oh, and I didn't mention that Terry can cancel out of his normal moves to perform specials, including these. I think the consensus right now is that um, this character is quite good. Let's listen to one more song for now. This is Curry Kinton Flavor, which is taken straight from 2017's King of Fighters 14, which is based on the song from Fatal Fury 2, and now is also in Smash Bros. Ultimate. By the way, this is the only version that has flavor after the word Curry Kinton. That made me Google what the word Curry Kinton means in English, seeing as it's a Japanese word that is apparently used to represent this ultra-American fighter, and it translates to chestnuts and mashed sweet potatoes. So this version of the song is called chestnuts and mashed sweet potatoes flavor. Is that American? I don't know why it's not like bacon cheeseburger flavor, but anyway, this game was composed by Hideki Asanaka, Minori Sasaki, Zoe, and Naoki Kita. We can, of course, notice differences in all three different versions of Curry Kinton that we've listened to today. 
but one of the biggest differences to me is the bass line. Have a listen again to how it sounds in the same section in all three songs. Here's the Smash Ultimate remix. Here's the original. And here's the King of Fighters 14 version. It seems to me that the King of Fighters version matches the original more closely than the Smash Ultimate version does. Probably because Sakurai doesn't like Big Band. Take that, Sakurai. But what is that feature about the bass that seems to make it more fitting for this genre? Let's talk about that technique right here and now. Walking bass. A walking bass is a bass line, usually done on upright bass or bass guitar, that plays more or less on every quarter note, giving a steady pulse akin to walking. This style of playing is most important in jazz and blues, and it's into those categories, of course, that big band falls into. It's important that a bass player in some way outlines the chord at any given point, because that's still their role, but there's a lot of freedom in how that can be done in the music. As I play you some examples here, we'll assume that we're in 4-4 time and that we have a chord change every bar, but that's not necessarily how every walking bass line is going to be. Typically, the root of the chord is played on the first beat of each bar. The last beat of each bar is typically some kind of leading note to the next chord in the next bar. It could be approaching diatonically through the scale, it could be approaching chromatically by step, or it could be approaching by the fifth of the new chord, which gives that note a sort of dominant function. The middle two notes of the bar can be any note that follows the scale or chord of the bar. However, you shouldn't really just pick random notes. Walking bassline can almost be considered melodic sounding when you take them on their own, so a player should think about how the notes lead as they play. You can move around on scale tones, you can move around on chord tones, you can move around chromatically, and so on. Typically, a walking bass player would change notes every beat, but sometimes playing the same note a few times in a row is actually a nice way to change things up. Walking bass players aren't limited to just chord notes either. They can play fills between the quarters with swung eighth notes, muted grace notes, or held notes. Again, this is a way to create variation in their playing. Now, listening to the examples of Curry Kinton, there's not much, or any, variation in their bass lines throughout. The original basically does this the whole song. There's a little more variation in the King of Fighters version. The ultimate version basically abandons it for a punk rock bassline. Just kidding, punk rock is good, but this song should be big band. In the real world of music, however, I say that with big quotation marks, 
Bassists are usually just looking at a chord symbol and improvising their own bass lines off of them throughout the whole song. Again, this isn't just them playing randomly. And improvise doesn't mean unintentional. Jazz performers spend countless hours practicing how to improvise, so they are able to do so in under many circumstances. Alright, enough talking. Let's make our own walking bass lines. One of the easiest examples to show walking bass is in the standard 12-bar blues form, which Curry Kinton kind of resembles but isn't quite 12-bar blues. The most basic form for 12-bar blues would be the one chord on the first bar, followed by the four chord, then the one chord, one chord, four chord, four chord, one chord, one chord, five chord, four chord, one chord, and often it will end with a five chord, to lead back into the progression again. Let's imagine we're in the key of G, so our chords would be G, C, G, G, C, C, G, G, D, C, G, D. First, I'll play a version where I mostly stick to chord tones. either by playing through the scale or approaching notes by half step. Lastly, I'll add some fills to my bass playing. today's help, you'll be playing walking bass like a pro. And what's more American than walking bass, football fields, ball caps, denim, and a Japanese voice actor quoting English idioms? I hope you enjoyed the episode. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the podcast or suggestions of a song or music topic. Leaving a rating or review on your podcasting platform is a great way to share that with me and helps Overtone Warp Zone gain some exposure. You can stay up to date on podcast news by visiting the website overtonewarpzone.com. If you found some enjoyment from this podcast and want to give your support, check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash overtonewarpzone. Until next time, keep playing. <laughs>